the show notes went away. Oh no. <laughs> are they going to come back or are they just <laughs> come back show notes? They went home for the holidays. <laughs> yep, that's the problem. Welcome to MinkCast, the podcast by the Linux Mint community for all users of Linux. Straight out of Florida, I'm Joe. Full of gingerbread, I'm Norbert. Surviving the winter, I'm Nishan. But Tor took a crap on me, so now I'm on Windows. I'm Josh. And I'm Bill, and I'm just glad to be here. This is episode 377, recorded on Sunday the 26th December. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Livestream information is at mintcast.org slash livestream. If you see something that you'd like to hear about, tell us. You can send us an email at mintcast at mintcast.org, join us live on YouTube, post at the Mintcast subreddit, chat with us on Telegram, Discord, Facebook, or post directly at mintcast.org. First up in the news, Pop OS 21.10 is released. GNOME 42, top new feature and release details. React OS 0.4.14 has been released. Krita 5.0 has been released. And there's yet another desktop environment on the horizon. In our security section, a grub update causes problems with Ubuntu. And there's another log4 shell update. Then in our wanderings, we talk about what we've done over the Christmas holiday. Okay, and in the news section, Pop OS 21.10 has been released. The full screen application menu has been replaced by a separate searchable window called the Application Library, which should be less obstructive. It also lets you search for an application by typing, and the search results will also include applications that are not installed but available in the Pop Shop. This release comes with GNOME 40, the latest kernel and latest NVIDIA drivers. Pop OS 21.10 also brings a better upgrade experience. When upgrading, it will disable the user-added PPAs automatically to avoid upgrade conflicts. The recovery partition is now updated before upgrading the distribution to give you a medium to easily reinstall the distro if the installation using the restore partition does not succeed the first time. When installing from the recovery partition, PopOS now lets you choose Refresh Install that lets you reinstall PopOS without losing your files in the home directory. It should come in handy if something fails to work and you have to bring things back to their default state. Which does sound interesting. Yeah, that's pretty nice. Yeah, because that's a long-needed feature, you know, that Windows has had since day one. But the only thing I'm interested in, one, one problem when you do that on Windows is you end up with a terribly fragmented file system. And I wonder if, oh, yeah. if uh, that kind of <laughs> thing would be an issue with uh, on Linux. Well, I, I find it interesting that um, it, it automatically searches the, the store, the pop shop, mm -hmm. for new applications if you don't have it installed already. That's nice. Yeah, yeah. I tried it and the way it does it, when you start typing the name of the application, the ones that you have installed come up in immediately. And the ones that you can install appear a bit later, so you don't have to wait for it to search the repos and the pop shop before you see everything. Right. That's really nice. Yeah, that'd be a pain to have to, you know, wait five seconds to get everything up there. 
So if we could just go back in time to all the people that had all that criticism for Pop! OS, for <laughs> System 76 when this first came out, you know, and and yet all the interesting innovation has come from projects like this, you know. Exactly. Yeah, I'm very optimistic. Yeah. On one hand, all the news about uh, Pop! OS releases are being overshadowed by the announcement of their own uh, cosmic desktop. On the other hand, with all these new improvements and features, we actually get a glimpse of what the Cosmic Desktop will be like, because I don't think they intend to change it that much. So since the introduction of Cosmic on top of GNOME, I think what we see is pretty much almost exactly how it will look like when the Cosmic Desktop releases, hopefully next year or maybe the year after. Yeah, if if they were really focusing on providing a product that was that that had the continuity that their customers really want, they're probably going to come up with something that looks like what people are used to using with Pop! OS in the past, but continue on with that sort of paradigm as GNOME is shifting their way of doing things. Yeah. I'm just curious to see if they're going to stick with GTK. Uh, yeah, that. I mean, that that's interesting. Because <laughs> that's part of the problem. GTK and then, the, you know, all the having to stick with, stick with the libabueta stuff and all that, you know. Okay, so one thing which I like about Pop! is it's NVIDIA support. They made the NVIDIA developers work for Linux. Yeah. <laughs> what I read about in the news, in the blog, they cooperated with NVIDIA devs and they made them work for Linux. Otherwise, we were not getting any support from NVIDIA. That's true. You got to wonder how, how well NVIDIA would be playing along with all the GDM stuff if uh, if uh, you didn't have all this Pop! OS stuff going on. I mean, there, you know, you have to, if you're going to provide a consumer product, like, you know, the System76 does, you have to understand that if you're going to serve to the gamers, the gamers are using the NVIDIA cards, whether you like it or not. So, you know, you can either provide them an operating system that'll work out of the box, or they're going to go with something else, you know. Yeah, and they're also selling uh, computers that have NVIDIA cards in them. So it's absolutely in their best interest to have the experience on NVIDIA as seamless as it could be. Also about the Cosmic Shell itself, I've seen people say that the way Cosmic on GNOME currently is, is the best uh, GNOME user experience they've ever seen. But since it's getting further and further away from GNOME, at one point it will be as far removed from GNOME as, for example, Budgie is. Because Budgie, because Budgie uses a lot of stuff from the GNOME stack, but they have their own shell. But for example, if you have the entire GNOME desktop installed on a distro, and you want to install the Budgie desktop, it will just download a couple of megabytes, because that's 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 all that the difference is. So I think, as far as I've read, uh, System76 also just wants to develop their own shell, but not uh, all the applications from scratch. So for example, how when Ubuntu used Unity, they just did their own shell, their own desktop, but used a lot of uh, GNOME applications. And speaking of GNOME, GNOME 42 top new feature and release details. The major porting work for Libadueta already started since GNOME 41 and a major milestone release, Libadueta 1.0, is due by the end of 2021. The most important change is porting of all core apps and dialogues to the Libadueta library, which is the modern building blocks for GTK4 applications. In general, you would see flat buttons, nice drop downs, page animations, among the few of changes of Libadueta. I should have looked that sentence over before I saved it. Uh, don't worry about it. 
the release introduces system-wide dark style preferences in the form of a settings switch, which when turned on, the entire desktop and applications that support dark mode would automatically change to dark style. Mutter now sends input events at the device rate to applications, which should significantly increase perceived responsiveness for games and artistic programs. The default Adweta themes folder icons are also getting a revamp as they are now in blue with a white gradient. That sounds like a decent update for GNOME 42. Yeah, that sounds that sounds pretty nice. I mean, I didn't even notice any latency kind of stuff, so that that I'm going to be interested to test that out. Which distro is shipping? I think, I think uh, Fedora 36. So GNOME 42 will is due to come out in March. So a month after that, in April, I'm ex- I think you can expect Fedora 36 to have GNOME 42. Most likely. Yes, FC 36 repositories have GNOME 42 listed already. Currently, your only option to try this is to install uh, GNOME OS, the nightly GNOME OS in a VM. I downloaded GNOME boxes and uh, installed GNOME OS. And what I got, because it's a nightly snapshot, it was a weird mix of GTK3 and GTK4 applications. So some applications were already using the... You should be able to find a way to force install it on Arch. Yeah, you can from the AUR. It's uh, But you got, you end up changing everything, all of your GNOME stack when you do that. And then going back is not a straightforward process. It's better just to use GNOME OS because that's what they're using to test. So Yeah. One of the most important things is how it looks because because the applications that I've seen that use Libet Beta didn't really look like the ones that were using the default Adweta team that we know today. Because currently a lot of people complain about Adweta being pushed to be the default while it's not looking as good in their opinion as it as something should if it's a default. But with Libet Beta they're changing how, how things look. And I think it looks more pleasant both in the light and the dark version than the previous version of Adweta looked. And the colorful icons are a very welcome change because uh, the current beige colored icons don't really stick out uh, from the, the light theme background. And even on the dark background, there's not enough contrast to for them to be... Uh, they just look like rectangles. Yeah. And uh, now they are going to be blue, which is the default accent color for, for the beta. I'm not sure, but I think uh, they also are planning uh, f- a feature to where you can select the accent color. I don't think it will be coming in 42, but maybe in 43. Okay, moving on. React OS 0.4.14 has been released. React OS is an open source operating system that's intended to be binary compatible with Windows applications. In this release, the React OS kernel has better stability and a variety of other improvements. The kernel has seen work on improved memory management, initial work on physical address extension handling, CRT exception handling, and better plug and play and driver work. There is now better support for Internet Control Message Protocol, ICMP. Ah. Yeah, that last one was just a placeholder line. Ah, I know. (laughs) Ah. I figured. No, but React OS has been around for a while in one form or another, and I've never really, you know, seen it work all that well. So if they're giving an update and it's going to be working better, that, that, that will be good. It can't get worse. <laughs> I think it's been around since 98. Uh, looks like Windows 98. Yeah. Yeah, it always has. So I tried this out about four or five years ago, and it was the only ISO, I say ISO, the only download they had 
at the time was a 32-bit. So ah. uh, I just put it in a virtual machine. You got to jump through some hoops to get it into virtual box. Wait, are you kidding me? Task Manager is an exact copy of Windows. Well, yeah, no. It's a, this is meant to be, you know, a binary compatible with Windows. Yeah, drop-in replacement. Well, they say that, but then really, I I tried to install a couple of things the way you would in Windows, and I just couldn't get it to work. And now, if you use their little package manager thing, you've got the choice between I don't know twenty or thirty applications that they that they allowed you to to install. Then you can. You can use it. I think this would be nice if it would actually be a bit for bit. Yeah, especially for just a couple applications here and there that don't work on Linux, you know, something like that. Yeah, I would much rather use something like that. But because I I think at one time I tried to use it just so I could update my silly little Garmin GPS and my my, uh, Logitech remote control, which they insist those companies insist on you getting their silly little apps. Yep. And this would have been perfect for that. It's always been an interesting idea, but yeah, the application I've never actually seen come off, actually work. But I would enjoy being proven wrong on that. Oh yeah, me too. Yeah. I think I've seen some stuff about NVIDIA drivers working uh, on oh, wow. React OS on, on, on some specific cards. Hmm. I would love for you know them to actually get Windows applications working in React OS and then how they did it get pushed to upstream and then that appear in everything. Right. <laughs> it begs the question whether they could actually benefit from the leaked Windows XP source code that was leaked <laughs> either last year or this year. I'm sure they can. What? Are you seriously telling me Windows was leaked? Windows XP was leaked. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what? There is some conspiracy theories whether it was intentional. <laughs> but uh, I think if the React OS team tried to make sense of that code and implement what they what they learned from that, uh, when the Microsoft could sue them for using their proprietary code. So I don't, I'm not sure that would be an option. I would imagine a lot of the problems, the APIs, because just using the NT kernel is one thing. And I, I think that's what this is based on. It's just taking what they can access. And then the problem, of course, is just you don't have a lot of publicly accessible APIs out there. And that's why only some things will work, you know. It's most likely a, a scenario where it's if Microsoft wants to take them down, they'll be down. But of course, they're not that big of a deal. So who cares? They probably don't even know about it, maybe. <laughs> All right. Krita 5.0 has been released, and this is from its Foss. The major release includes significant improvements in gradients, which should solve the issue of banding or the blocks of colors in gradients caused by a small color depth. Using a technique called dithering, it is now possible to give the illusion of a smooth gradient in the same bit depth. In simple terms, it means combining the colors of surrounding pixels that the eye interprets as a color out of the range of the bit depth. As well as the improvements to 8-bit color gradients in 16 and 32-bit color images are now able to take full advantage of this increased color range. Krita 5.0 also comes with support for exporting and importing GIF, APNG, and WebP images, image types, and an improved UI. The brand new icon set featuring a flatter design and the ability to <laughs> detach the 
brush editor from the toolbar to create a separate window. I just added the news last minute because I remembered uh, about... Uh, should you read it, Joe? Oh, if you want to read it, go ahead. Oh, okay. About Apple helping uh, the Asahi Linux developers. Uh, there's a tweet uh, by Hector Martin that says, Looks like Apple changed the requirements for Mac O kernel files in 12.1, breaking our existing installation process, and they also added a raw image mode that will never break again and doesn't require Mac OS. And people said they wouldn't help. This is intended for us. And when he says Mac OS, it's not Mac OS, it's uh, spelled differently. I think it's... Uh, Mark? Yeah, Mark. Mark. Mark OS. Yeah, Mark OS. Yeah. Love yeah, it. So, so Mark, so Mark <laughs> is the kernel of Mac OS. Yeah, he's, he seems to be convinced that this was done by somebody at Mac OS to intentionally make things easier for the Asahi project. And that's that's interesting. I, I he he can't figure out a reason, any other reason why they would do this. And if he can't, then who is? Yeah, because this uh, wouldn't benefit macOS development in any way. No. Just Asahi. It's interesting. I read some reasoning somewhere that said that Apple wouldn't mind uh, working Linux on Apple chips because Apple themselves use Linux on their infrastructure. Yeah, I did hear that. I did hear that on the server. Maybe they wouldn't mind being able to use Linux on their own hardware. Right. I also added another piece of news that I just found minutes or maybe 15 minutes before the show and this was posted today as of recording this and it's uh, Nitrox Linux announcing their new desktop environment. It's an official post from the Nitrox site. Can I read that Norbert? Nitrox is my favorite distro. Oh go ahead. Okay so it looks really beautiful and it's called the Maui shell. So it's basically like convergent desktop shell with diff- for different form factors from mobile phones to tablets to desktop computers. This is one thing that caught my eye but the other thing is that uh, it will use a compositor that's being specifically developed for this desktop environment, and it will use the Qt Wayland compositor API. So it's another desktop that uses Wayland, which is always a welcome addition. I have been using Nitrix on and off for some time, but this has to be the most beautiful. It looks a lot like a Chromebook, actually. Yeah, it does. To me. That's pretty nice, actually. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. We have this announcement linked in the show notes with all of these screenshots. Now we just got to get it to work. <laughs> It sort of gives me the same vibes as uh, Cutefish and Deepin, but uh, at the same time, it looks more mature. Right. It really feels like it's been in development for a long time. Yeah, it looks like an actual product, an actual consumer product. I think this is the first uh, desktop that manages, that I've seen, that manages a seamless layout to both phones and tablets as well as a desktop. Because uh, on the phone, you can have uh, one application open at the same time in a given workspace. On the tablet, you can have two. And the desktop, you can have multiple ones. And I think uh, it has an overview mode that uh, looks kind of like the GNOME 40 overview mode. Oh, that's nice. Which I like. So it's, uh, I'm not saying that uh, they're red because they copied that. <laughs> I should rather say they were inspired. Inspiration is always nice. For the desktop, they're using K- modified KDE Plasma, if I'm not mistaken, on the Linux OS. Oh, okay. Well, they use kind of a combination of, what is it, Qt and... Oh, Qt is the framework. Right. Yeah, and then there's like the widget set that sits on top of the Plasma desktop, and that's kind of a separate thing to make it all look coherent. It has some GTK vibes to it, but it's uh, entirely cute, as far as I can tell. I think this is the best-looking default to any cute desktop environment that I've ever seen. I have to agree with you. I actually didn't even know it was cute. <laughs> I thought it was uh, GTK. It kind of kind of gave me that vibe. 
Right, because you look at the icon theme here, and that is that is GNOME. Oh, yeah, that's right. However, then you look at the file manager on the second picture, and I don't know, that's not GNOME, so... No, definitely not. Yeah, yeah, I see that. It looks a little like the Deep in File Manager or the Zorin theme for Nautilus, but... But it's sharp. It looks like Nautilus, though. A little bit heavily themed. <laughs> it's, it's a mashup version of Nautilus. <laughs> Massively themed. I wish podcast could convey images because they because these really look amazing. Yeah. Indeed it does. I'm really hoping this desktop will be available on the multiple distros. Yeah, that'd be nice. I'm hoping for Fedora because because the Fedora team has a lot of uh, focus on, on Wayland. And uh, because... And they already have uh, the, well, it's not Wayland, but they already have the Pantheon desktop as an option in the installer, internet installer. So I would love to have this desktop on Fedora on my tablet. I really hope they will have uh, a built-in pop-up keyboard on the screen Mm. as well. That would, I mean, when you look at the tablet screenshot, it looks like it was made for a tablet. And when you look at the desktop, it looks like it was made for a desktop. So Arch does not have it in the repositories, but... This was literally announced uh, a few hours before the show. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, it's nowhere yet. <laughs> yeah, I'm not even seeing it. It's, yeah. not on the, yeah. it's not on the AUR yet, at least not under Maui shell. The AUR is fast, but, but not that fast. Okay, on to the security update. In your security update. Ubuntu 22.04 is looking for a solution to the new Grub update that disables OS Prober. Reason for this change is due to several vulnerabilities that attackers can exploit within Grub before your PC boots. These vulnerabilities can directly bypass secure boot to allow an attacker to execute arbitrary code to compromise your system. And then these are some of the Debian developers' possible solutions to this issue. Most seem to be annoying at best. And these is a link in the show notes. What, what's wrong if they disable OS Prober? We can always enable it, right? Through some tweaking and all that. Yeah, I mean, you can re-enable it. This is another physical access attack. Basically, if somebody has a hold of your computer, they can do horrible things to it. The solution is attach C4 to your hard drives. And if you don't enter in a code within 10 <laughs> seconds of them powering up, boom. Six-foot fence, Constantino wire. <laughs> guns in a tower on a turret. <laughs> Honestly, folks. Yeah. But, I mean, the solutions that, that the Debian developers put up are just, like, it's it's so funny. It's like the first one is, oh, just re-enable it. Like, okay, so then... You know, that's not really a solution. That's just, you know, going back to the way it was. And then um, the last one, they said they were going to re-implement um, OS Prober. But um, basically, they just said, meh, not going to worry about it. I'm like, well, why even put that in your in your solution if you're not going to worry about re-implementing it? You know, just like don't even mention it. Best thing, re- uh, install uh, Refined and then get on with it. Yeah, you could do that. Or you could just hit F12 or F11 or whatever else and switch that way. That's what I do. I never even use Grub anymore. You remove Grub even though Fedora has Grub? I don't remove it just in case, but I, I just hit F12 and just select through my you know UEFI selection. Okay, then I must be very lazy. <laughs> well, I removed my Grub on my laptop. Oh, well, that's good. <laughs> Can you pass kernel, kernel commands when you do it that way? You mean uh, hit F12 or whatever? 
You know, get yeah, into no, I don't think so. Use your UEFI, I think you have to have yeah. grub. That's up. the only problem with that. Yeah, that's that is an issue. Yeah, but how often does that situation come up where you need to you add something right, in exactly. there? Right, exactly. Get into your grub, hit E, that's hit like a enter, niche issue. type in some crap at the end. and Oh, we NVIDIA guys know the pain. NVIDIA needs a uh, kernel command to enable direct rendering. It depends. That de- That depends, yeah. Maybe on your first boot up when you first have NVIDIA, yeah, when you're right. first setting it up. But after that, you, you add that to your uh, startup command and you just leave it. I mean, you never go in there again. Mm-hmm. Unless you're Moss. <laughs> I have an issue on my system. It is an NVIDIA system. We have to always do mod set equal to zero while installing any distro. Otherwise, it won't go. Then why not set that automatically? After you log in the first time doing it manually, you go in there and you change your grub and you do a grub update, and voila, you never have to do it manually again. If I stay on that distro for a long time, I would do that. But oh, you know, you're saying I if you keep... distro hop a lot and then you have to keep doing it. Yeah, well, that's yeah. always going to happen unless unless your uh, NVIDIA card is, is enabled with um, the Nueve drivers. Nueve. Or whatever, however the heck it's you nouveau. say it. <laughs> nouveau. 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 That's what it is. Nouveau. No view. No view. <laughs> I think it's French, so Nouveau. Yeah, probably Nouveau. You're probably right. <laughs> so this means that the GTX 1650 is not Nouveau enabled yet? Yeah, it should be. Yeah, because I, I have 1650 Super, so. You have to tie in kernel parameters for Nouveau or the... Nouveau dot... More mod set equal to zero every time. Okay, because I I didn't have this problem with the, but I'm using the proprietary drivers. I am having this problem on some distros. Well, it depends on what kernel you're on. Five point one five. Sometimes, sometimes when you load in the NVIDIA drivers, what happens is the Nouveau drivers still try to kick in. So you have two sets of drivers trying to use your graphics card at the same time. <laughs> and so what you end up having to do is do a mod set equals to zero or something to that effect to get them to not load in two sets of drivers for your graphics card. Okay. Well, two sets is still better than, than no drivers at all. <laughs> <laughs> because on some distros, there used to be a problem where you would install the proprietary with the drivers and they take so long to start, then light DM would start before, and it would complain about not being able to load. Mm. So then you would have to set, uh, then you would have to set uh, a parameter that would make uh, light DM wait for them with the driver. As for the grub stuff, uh, um, sometimes grub itself feels uh, a bit dated. Yeah. And OS proper. Yeah. Because they seem to be overcomplicated, and uh, when I moved to refined, yeah, that looks so much better. <laughs> yeah. And it, as opposed to like a whole minute, it just takes one second to update and it does it every time you boot up the computer. So you don't have to, you don't even need OS proper at that that point. That's definitely because it's made with UEFI in in mind because Grub is kind of, it's probably just tacked on, you know, just like X, you know, with the windowing system, you know, we had to make Wayland to actually make things better because X was so far, you know, removed from everything that you just need a new one. So that's, that's what I would chalk that up to and with refined i went in and created my own theme for refined with the background yeah and i did my custom icons and i'm that is nice about it it's just convenient and it looks way better than than the grub okay log4 shell executed against minecraft users has been one of the worst vulnerabilities this year 
maybe even the worst one. Log4Shell uses the commonly deployed Log4J Java logging utility used by Apache web servers and millions more applications. Log4J interprets logs as URLs and will execute any payload using the privilege of the program that is using Log4J. Below is a diagram of how the exploit works, and that will be in the show notes. Log4J is also an Apache pro- project. Yes, yeah, Log4J is an Apache project. But um, basically, what what the um image I have describes is how it works um to uh, exploit it. So basically, the attacker sends an HTTP request that has a payload to the vulnerable server. That gets um sent back to the attacker server with the LDAP query. And then that LDAP response comes back with the actual payload to the vulnerable server. And then you get the the, um, attacker gets access to that server. That's pretty much what happens with this whole thing. That's why it's so, so problematic because the payload can be just in an HTTP request and that, yeah, it basically gives you shell access, which is the worst possible scenario. (laughs) And the biggest problem is, is it is it executes. Yeah, it executes it as the program's um, user. You know, so if you're logged in as root, which is stupid, but if you are and you're using it, <laughs> um, well, then they have root access immediately. They don't even have to go through any other hoops. Maybe Kali Kali uses rest in peace. Yeah, and folks, Java is everywhere. Yeah, it's on all of your mobile devices. All the Muggles are using it too. <laughs> Yeah. Well, this is going to be a problem for a long time because there's so many applications that are proprietary that use this and we'll never even know it. And um, yeah, this is just going to keep coming up year after year. And it's not just a matter of patching your server. It's a matter of patching each application. If you can patch it. So you don't always <laughs> find it in the logs or anything like that. I mean, you'll you'll come back a month later and find another application so that Apache, launched another Apache. application that launched another <clears throat> application that was using Log4j. Okay, so Apache has already patched it in the Yeah, I did I do have a I do have a link for that too. Well, I have a link for one of them. One down, 300 million to go. Yeah, there have been some attempts at patching the issue. Some have failed, but they think the exploit is now fixed. Joe, I am on their Slack. I follow their every step of their development. So is it fixed? It is. I I believe it. (laughs) Regardless of the patching (laughs) attempt, it's up to the individual developers and sysadmins to upgrade the software. Uh. The answer is... You think it's patched, and you will find something that's not patched next week and the week after. So so they did try to patch it. They did try to patch it, like, the first week, and actually the patch that they had had a zero day in it, so they didn't really do anything to help themselves. <laughs> they did work fast. I will say they did work fast to get this thing patched, and they usually do. When it comes to open source stuff, they usually do, but the funniest part is that they patched it, they thought they were okay, and then it's a zero day in the patch. <laughs> It wasn't. E- it was a new one. It wasn't even like not patched. <laughs> Question: What is zero day vulnerability? Because I see this coming up. Zero day time. means it's already been exploited in the in the um wider web, whatever you want to call it. It's it's been exploited and no one knew about it. So I guess technically it might not have been a zero day as per defined, but um yeah, that's what a zero day means. It's been used that, and the security researchers did not know about it being used okay. yet. 
This is kind of like one of those cartoon scenes where there's a boat that has a leak in it and water is coming up and the cartoon character plugs it in with a finger <laughs> and there's another leak comes up and they plug the hole too and the third and the fourth leak comes up and eventually they sink. <laughs> and in this case, you have no idea how many holes the boat has. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because how many how many Java apps are out there people are using on their phones and people just... You know, these developers are just making this little thing and then chucking it over the wall, and then yep. 100 million people got it installed on their phones. The answer is yes. <laughs> the answer is yes. <laughs> you know, down with Java. And all of this happened during the holiday season. <laughs> right once, exploit everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. Yeah, and everybody's in the middle of a code freeze. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah. And guess where I got the question from? I asked because I've been reading this book by Mark Resinovich. What's the title? Zero Day. Zero Day. So Mark Resinovich is a Microsoft fellow, technical fellow. So I had this question in my mind, what does zero day vulnerability mean, actually? He doesn't just Google it. He buys a book. <laughs> That's dedication, guys. <laughs> that is dedication. <laughs> Okay, first up in our bi-weekly wanderings, it's me. I wasn't first up last time I looked, but I'm first up now. Yeah, I switched the order to keep the tradition. <laughs> okay. Um, I've spent most of my time, you know, over the last two weeks preparing for vacation or being on vacation, so I haven't done much in regards to computers. <clears throat> I did end up having to work on my vacation due to coworkers calling in sick. But I did have my laptop and my tablet with me, and I had no major issues doing it. I did have a small problem with one of my USB hubs. As a matter of fact, it's right here. Um, uh, whenever it was connected to my laptop, after some time, I would start having Wi-Fi connection issues. Don't ask me how. I still don't know why. And it came to be... And the solution was simply to take the hub away and use a different one. But for some reason, having this hub hooked up caused my Wi-Fi to drop. Huh. And for it to ask me for the password for the Wi-Fi. Is it like made of aluminum or something? No, no, no. It's plastic. It's just a seven-port hub. Because I was thinking maybe it would like take the signal or something <laughs> somehow. Does that have the Ethernet ports on it? No, you, no, it's just a USB hmm. 3.0 hub with uh, manual switches wow. on it to turn stuff off and on. No power? N uh, yeah, it is powered. I had it powered. Mm, that could be. Mm. Maybe it was feeding it back in. Maybe Quite there was possibly. a wiring issue. Maybe. But anyways, it's garbage now. So, yeah. Another one bites the dust. Now, as for actually working on computers, that did come up because, you know, on, if I'm in town, I'm the family's tech support. So I did have to work on <laughs> yeah. my grandma's Windows machine, which was starting up very slowly, as in it was taking 20 minutes to get into the login screen from when you turn the power on. Um, the computer had a like very old Celeron processor in it or something, and only like four gigs of RAM. Um, I wanted to DD the hard drive to an SSD, but it seems where I was at, no one had one available to sell and even what? ordering from Amazon, <laughs> it wouldn't get here in time. It wouldn't be here till like next Tuesday. Uh, so I ended up Ugh. taking my grandpa's old computer and, and moving the hard drive into that, which had eight gigs of Ram and a seventh gen I five. 
So much faster boot times. I mean, you're three minutes now instead of 20 minutes. Wow. Uh, but I would still like for a better hard drive in there because something, something's still got to be going there. Um, my grandma being an older, non-technical person, I don't want to try to convert her to Linux. And I can't really do a full nuke and pave on her system and just throw a new hard drive in there. Because that's where she manages all her bills and plays all her games. And putting her on a clean OS just isn't the route to go. Yeah. Um, no, never. Never, especially like when it's that scenario. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I also was asked to fix an overheating laptop. Uh, should be simple, right? Uh, but no one <laughs> sells thermal paste around here. Okay. Maybe I can do it without if I don't remove the heat sink. I take it apart, and the inside is super clean. Like, super clean. Nothing in there. Hmm. And no clog is causing the overheating issue. Um, so, my dad had a doctor's appointment in a town an hour and a half away, um, and it had a Best Buy there, so they were able to get me some thermal paste. I'm able to take everything apart and put it back together correctly, but it's still getting very hot. I don't have the time to put a different OS on there and find out if it's the fan issue or something like that. So I, I, I'm not really sure why it's overheating, but it's still overheating. Is it an Intel processor? Um, it's an HP laptop. So no, it's an AMD A9. Yeah, then I then I couldn't tell you because I know I know Intel had that issue where they they stopped soldering the heat the heat spreader to the um, actual chip. And then they um, they just used thermal paste, and then it wasn't even, and then it would overheat all the time. I'm not sure what generation that was, but that was a huge issue. Yeah, well, I was able to, to get a tube of uh, thermal paste and get new thermal paste on there. So I've had it all the way apart. I cleaned it. It didn't really need no, a lot I mean, of cleaning. Um, but Right. No, I mean underneath the where you put the thermal paste on, what what um, connects that to the actual processor, the you know, the metal part that's over top of the processor? Mm -hmm. They solder that on usually. Oh, no. But for a couple of generations, they actually use thermal paste. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh, you're talking about the dye? That's what I was saying. Yeah. Yeah, the dye. The dye. Yeah, that's what I meant. Um, The, the dye was attached. So. Right. It, it wasn't thermal pasted on. Okay. But, yeah, uh, I guess, well, it is a 17-inch laptop, so maybe it just runs that hot. Those chips were pretty hot. I can say that. Okay, so in case you're not aware, I am currently in Florida, and as much as I love being around my family, I am ready to go back home and be back on my own diet um, and to have my own weight equipment and my garage. Um, I, need, I did need a break for those things, but now I'm definitely ready to get back to them. Um, I did try... And do the setup for today's stream. The people that were on earlier got to see some of that um, from Florida. But knowing that I have a terrible internet connection here, um, I've done the setup through X2Go to my home server. Uh, I wanted to have that, that box do the actual streaming while I streamed my desktop through Discord. But the connection was still a little bit too flaky and made things very convoluted. So I have created another Discord account on my home server so that I could be logged in twice. I was able to, to use OBS Studio and everything seems to be working. But like I said, it's extremely uh, complicated 
convoluted setup. And it is working right now, mostly. So I'm logged in using X2Go to my home server and I'm streaming the um, Discord room from that location so that I'm not using more bandwidth here in Florida. And then um, we have Bill, who is in control of um, the YouTube live stream. So he, he gets to click the, the stop stream button at the end. And, and then we have uh, Nishant, who is in control of showing the show notes. Because if I try to stream the show notes, my audio goes away. It becomes very jittery. With the power of friendship and teamwork, we have saved Christmas. Right, right. We 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 are streaming today, and we will have a podcast one way or another. I demand it. <laughs> that is the spirit of open source in its truest form. Yep. Someone twists someone's arm until things work. Also, <laughs> I have tested a couple of things out with regards to Docker, especially the uh, dash IT command. Um, at image creation time instead of just while it's running. Uh, it's really good for testing as it's going to print out the output of the command line of the Docker image at the startup. This has allowed me to test the VPN Docker images that I like to use and see what is working and what is not. Because once again, the VPN, VPN instances that I was using for um, on my laptops and things, not on my server, stopped working and I had to find something new. So I've created them all again and I can see the output as it's happening. So now when they're not working, I will know right away instead of having to look and see if they're just constantly restarting in Docker. Um, Norbert, yep. what have you been up to? Well, the holiday season can be very stressful some, for some people, uh, which I think is quite the opposite of what it should be about. So for the past couple of years, uh, my family and I decided to slow down a bit and try to have stress-free Christmases. That don't happen. With a, That's a myth. But with a lower scale celebrations with uh, only close family members. And I would say it sort of works. And the fact that there's still a pandemic out there uh, made uh, <laughs> reducing travels easier because you wouldn't want to risk uh, getting infected. Because I know uh, I know someone who had uh, three shots of the vaccine but still managed to get infected a month after the third shot. So it's still pretty much real and it's still pretty much and it's still very dangerous. As for uh, the Linux side of things, I have some updates on my project of turning XFCE into a desktop environment tiling window manager hybrid. So the first thing I tried, which was using i3 and PyCom in place of XFWM, so the XFC window manager, it worked reasonably well, but it had a few issues. Uh, one of them is that I would have preferred to keep some of the functionality of XFWM, like managing workspaces, which uh, in i3 isn't really what I'm looking for. So I'm not really looking for to, so I'm not ready to commit to a full tiling window manager experience. I want to keep some of the functionality of a desktop environment, and I would prefer uh, for XFWM to still be in charge of workspaces. And uh, the only thing I really want uh, to implement is styling on top of XFCE without any drastic changes in my XFCE workflow. On my laptop with uh, only one display, the workspace management of i3 wasn't an issue, but I had a lot of graphics artifacts when uh, opening and closing and resizing windows while using the PyCom compositor and I and which I couldn't get rid of uh, even by trying multiple configurations for PyCom. 
and I still wanted to have something more closer to regular XFCE. And around two weeks ago, I had a package recommended to me on Telegram called Zentile, which is an on-demand tiling implementation for Openbox, XFCE, and other EWMH compliant window managers. I played around with that a little, and the advantage of that was that I didn't have to completely replace the Windows Manager, the Window Manager of XFCE, but when I tried it on my triple monitor setup, it would just handle the entire thing, the entire X desktop as one giant monitor, so when I turned off tiling, it would maximize my windows all across my three displays, with no regard to where the displays actually end and begin. And since my side monitors are taller than my main monitor, some of the window was actually cropped off, that was supposed to be between the two side monitors under my main monitor. So I haven't fixed that yet, but I hope to do that because with this tool you can set tiling per workspace. So I can have tiling on for my first accessory workspace and not for the other ones, which is the same reason why I like PopShell. It gives me the option to turn tiling on and off, but it also has the extra functionality of uh, of being able to only turn it for uh, certain workspaces. Uh, this might actually get me to use proper tiling. I mean, it's not a proper tiling window manager, but it's close enough. And uh, I've been wanting something exactly like this. Only if I could finally uh, fix this one problem. I this is this is something that I could actually implement to my into my workflow. And I think also my laptop, where I also switched from GNOME to XFCE for a lighter desktop, when I want to do stuff like uh, Zoom video calls, which are turns out uh, pretty heavy on the CPU. Even there, when I have to share my screen, it would be really convenient. Another thing is that after a few failed attempts at getting into OpenSUSE these past few months, I gave Tumbleweed another try, but this time going with XFCE and GNOME instead of Plasma. Previously I went with Plasma, but uh, preferring GTK desktops, I could never fully immerse myself in KDE, which is probably why I didn't click with Tumbleweed the first couple of tries. But after using it with XFCE, I have to say it's one of the most polished base distros I've tried. I'm always on the lookout for independent distros. Independent, uh, not meaning that it's built from scratch, but it doesn't really have another distro upstream of it. For example, Fedora is upstream of Red Hat, so Fedora is technically more independent than Red Hat. Uh, Norbert, how is Fedora more independent than Red Hat? Uh, this is weird because I'm going with the definition of independent that DistroWatch is using. So when Fedora is released, for example, Fedora, th- Fedora 34 was released, and now around the half a year later, the new Red Hat release will be based on Fedora. Now, because the new Red Hat release is based on Fedora, that means Fedora is the upstream. So the changes in Fedora affect Red Hat. Oh, okay. So upstream, downstream, can I relate it to reverse? So since uh, Fedora is both upstream from Red Hat and CentOS stream, it makes it the most uh, the most upstream distro on, in that uh, line. It's like the lake that feeds the stream. <laughs> You can't go any further than the lake. The lake is it. <laughs> so the way I like to think about it is that uh, Red Hat and CentOS Stream get packages from Fedora, but Fedora doesn't get packages from another distro. They have to package it for themselves. And the distro that packages everything by themselves is what I'm calling independent here, if that makes sense. But I'm still using Fedora on my tablet, but I just decided to try OpenSUSE on my laptop. And uh, Zipper is actually a great package manager. And I think I prefer it over DNF, although both of them have a really nice layout when listing packages that are going to be updated or removed or installed. And there's also Yast, which I actually decided not to include on my first installation attempt, as I wanted to do system configs on a command line. I say first attempt because I, it took me a couple of installs to get the hang of the new, the hang of the package management, where uh, 
instead of groups, it has patterns for each desktop environment, which seem to pack a lot more functionality, a lot more stuff, rather than just the desktops themselves. You can really spend a lot of time fine-tuning the package selection in the installer, and not just from the listed ones, it lets you search the entire repo and select any package which it will download and install along the system. And it's interesting because you have all of these packages listed out for all of the desktop environments and you can fine-tune it by cherry-picking various packages from, for example, I could install a very minimal GNOME. It was a very nice experience. I wouldn't say it's very beginner-friendly, but for the advanced user, it's really easy to understand. It's a very well-laid-out installer. And when I was satisfied with my package selection, I got curious and actually included Yast after all in my installation, which proved to be very useful on occasions when I wanted to do something package management-wise, like adding repositories, but didn't fully know how to use Zipper yet. I could just open the dedicated Yast uh, repositories application and add uh, repositories manually there. So Yast has a built-in functionality for basically everything you can think of. It has like, uh, sort of looks like the uh, XFC settings uh, manager, it and it has dozens of uh, sub-applications. Uh, and I think I've been going on long enough. So Josh, what have you been up to this? past weeks um well i've been uh, basically kind of just working with my laptop that i got back um from getting repaired uh the uh, light bleed issue that i had with it i sent it in for repair and it went from being in the middle of the top of the screen to being on the edge of the top of the screen so i guess they moved it i don't think they fixed it <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh, you're just gonna have to take it off and do it yourself oh i know i'm like no that's just not gonna happen oh yeah 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 warranty's gotta be gone before i even would attempt to do that and i don't think i'm even gonna try the funniest thing though is if you if you put your hand on the back of the middle of the screen you press all the light bleed goes away it's like perfect if you just put slight pressure right in the middle I'm like, oh. well, so what you're saying is you need to take it apart and fold up a piece of paper and it, put it in the back in the middle and voila. I don't think that would, I think it needs to be pressing from the outside in instead of the inside out. So I almost need like a rubber band with like a little bead on it that presses from the back. <laughs> I have no idea. This means the alignment they made. Well, okay, so what happens with an IPS panel is there's multiple layers, and those layers need to be pressed perfectly to not get any light bleed at all from the back, and I think they just used a really cheap display on this laptop, even though it was... Yeah, it was a lot of money. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and... As it is, being on the corners, it's not bad at all. I mean, the any game, it has to be pretty dark to really notice it. So it's a lot better than being right smack in the middle of the screen at the top part of it. Um, but I just never experienced this before. No, I still think that there would be a gap between the uh, back plastic of your mm. the top of your laptop yeah. and the display itself. And if you right. wedge something in there, it would put that pressure. Oh, I see what you're saying. That you're saying that you put on when you're pushing in. So that would fix your um, light bleed issue. Right. You're saying put pressure on the back of the display, not the not the actual monitor, like the whole casing. And press the monitor, the the, the right. actual display forward. Yeah, okay, I see. That could work, actually. I, I'm not sure. Yeah. But I just don't want to take it apart, <laughs> not until the warranty's up. How many years? Um, maybe like, well, probably two now, but when I sent it in, it was like one. So, 
that's poor craftsmanship on part of Acer. Yeah, it's Acer. So, I mean, everything else is solid on this laptop. I've never had this solid of a laptop otherwise. I mean, the thing is totally aluminum. Josh, Josh, I'm using Acer only except for the shorted charger. Nothing. Yeah, everything is the charger's fine. great. The charger's huge. It's like I said, it was like a, uh, in the other episode, it was like, I think 230 watts or something like that. It's freaking beast. It gets hot. <laughs> but um, same. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm running Windows on it right now because I, I let's see here. I was running Fedora and some I I wish I could remember. I should have if I would have wrote it down, it would have been good. But something went wrong with it, and I was just like, "Yeah, no, nuke and pave Windows. I'm just gonna do this for now." And so I tried to install Windows 11, which was like 60% there. <laughs> they have a lot of work to do on that. Was your um, processor over like always occupied by Windows 11? No, Windows works great on it. I mean, it's it's pretty solid on, on this laptop. I have had this issue on my Aspire where Windows 11 would completely occupy the processor. Oh, no, I did not have that issue at all. Are you on Intel or AMD? AMD. See, I'm on Intel, so that's probably the difference. I bet you any money it's some sort of uh, microcode issue with uh, AMD. Okay, so I downgraded to Windows 10 to be on safe side. It's working perfectly. Yeah, I did. I did too because there was just a couple of nitpick issues that I just didn't want to deal with. So I just went to Windows 10 because you might as well just stay on it until, you know. Joe is looking at us and saying, you two are on Windows today. Let me trouble <laughs> you. Okay, I'm on my backup Windows installation, all right, because I had to because I wasn't on Mint. <laughs> if I was on Mint, this wouldn't be happening. <laughs> but isn't Windows 11 just Windows 10? Uh, okay, so it is, but it isn't because they changed a lot of the UI and uh, they got rid of a lot of options that you can do. Okay, so when you right click, it's but under the hood. Oh, under the hood, it's the same. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, but like, I'm talking about the stuff you interact with every day. There's like nitpick issues. Like when you when you install certain programs, like Seven um, Zip, for instance. When you right click, there's a little thing that says Seven Zip, and you and you hover over that and there's another menu and you can do all your options and right and right click well now you have to right click go down to more options then click 7-zip then get to your options and I'm like no that's too many clicks I'm just gonna go back to Windows 10 um, but there is also a, a um, Windows taskbar replacer that's like it's like six bucks so it's not a whole lot of money but um, it, it basically gives you everything that Windows 10 has and more because it, they actually like implement all this stuff that should be in Windows that isn't. There's a there's a project on uh, GitHub too called Classic Shell. Yeah, I've heard of that one. Yeah, that used to be when Windows 8 came out. It was crazy popular because it gave you back the traditional. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> Matter of fact, the download last I checked was still available on Ninite. For the classic shell. Oh wow! I think that they because when Windows 10 came back, it was a little better, and people just kind of eh, okay, just kind of went with it a little bit. Windows 8 was a disaster. Windows 8. <laughs> I mean, it it was. I don't know what they were thinking. Fine. They were smoking something heavy on that. Day. I think they were really trying. They were just really trying to push a new paradigm a new workflow on everybody yeah they were pushing the tablet and phone uh infrastructure which is totally uh you know still here right <laughs> to be you know linux is not innocent in all this either because that's around about the same time uh gnome 3 came out 
Like, oh, okay, well, that must be a great idea. Let's push that paradigm on everybody. Yeah, you're not wrong at all. That's that's totally true. <laughs> I didn't think about that. Nobody liked it. Netflix can show Microsoft some one or two things about convergence. Yeah, I mean, Nitrix looked pretty darn good for convergence sake. Yeah, yeah, I like that. That was probably the best. So this is now, if if it takes off, maybe it, Microsoft can learn something from it. <laughs> and from the mistake they made in Windows 8. We'll see about that one. Yeah, we sound confident on that one. <laughs> Gnome itself is a little like Wayland. It took a long time to get there, but it's almost there. Just in time to change it all up again. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's almost there. What I'm thinking is, why don't the Linux users do some kind of revolution or something? Because you have to agree. Because none of them can work together on what you want to do for <laughs> it. Well, Linux users have to be more than 1% of the population. That's another story. <laughs> if you count Chrome OS in Linux, because it's based off Gen 2, we have 11%. If you counted Android, I'm sure our percentage would go up. But, yeah. you know... Oh, we'd lot. be winning. <laughs> yeah, even though you can sort of run Linux uh, on top of Chrome OS as you would on Windows with WSL, but I still wouldn't count uh, Chrome OS as a, the same as I wouldn't count Android. Yeah, it's closer. No, but if you count Chrome OS as a part of Linux family, then it's a win for Linux as well. because If you count Chrome OS and Android, yeah, we, we pretty much won. <laughs> no, I'm talking about increased share last year in Chrome OS, if you remember oh, that stat. Yeah. But we already won on the server side. Exactly. That's really what matters. If something like Android <laughs> would be as prolific as it is if it wasn't for the existence of Linux uh, in the first place. Doubtful. Because that really laid the groundwork down for something that was usable mm -hmm. and cost-effective to put on so many devices all over the world, you know. Yep. And that's the reason why you can buy... a. $35 Android phone. You can't buy a $35 iPhone. <laughs> Can you see the screen share? This is the future of Android OS. Privacy. Uh, this is Graphene OS that without the Google parts. Oh, yeah. I've used Graphene once or twice. Oh, my Pixel uh, XL, the original. How is it compared to the Google version of Android? It, I mean, it's it's all right. You, you still got to use the G apps no matter what. I mean, unless you're really going minimalist and you're not, you don't need anything else. You have to use the G apps to uh, help you out, especially with GPS. <laughs> I think it uses a different set of G apps. Uh, micro G, I think, I think is what it uses, and that's that doesn't exactly work either, though. I've tried that. What's a good mystery is that why is Chrome OS based on Gen two of all things? They want to waste power compiling everything every day? I don't know. <laughs> Could it have something to do with everybody else's use of System D and everything? Uh, that could be. I don't know. I don't see anything wrong with System D, but we'll not get in that. Well, we won't get in that conversation. <laughs> Gen 2 is still, you can basically drop in, replace System D with mm. OpenRC or whatever you want to use on there, you know? Right. Can anyone suggest any good OpenRC only distro, not Gen 2? Sabian. <laughs> oh, Sabian doesn't use it. Hmm, interesting. Which is based on Gen 2. Oh, yeah, it's based on Gen 2, so yeah, it makes sense. No, Sabian, I don't think you need to compile that. Do you? Yeah, they've got a they've got a binary repository. It's, mm -hmm. it's for if you want Gen 2 without, without waiting three weeks. 
there were some non gentoo distros also no which used well you've got the uh what's the one that's based on i think mx linux the one that's based on uh yeah we're Debian. we're devolving into a uh full on just yeah, th- this sounds like a different conversation <laughs> josh what else have My you been bad. up to sorry <laughs> it's all good <laughs> um yeah, no, I mean, uh, nothing much else. I mean, I, I haven't been doing much on my server. Um, I, I mean, I got Plex working as a snap, and that seems to work great. And I did find a new um, way to back them up, back up my snaps, which is really nice. Um, I think it's just snap save, and it literally just makes a zip archive of all of the snaps and basically everything that's in the config files for them and also in your home directory for them. So basically what happens is if my whole thing got nuked, I would just do um, uh, snap restore, I believe is what the command is, and it would you would point it to the um, drive with all your uh, zip files, and it would just literally restore all of the snaps that I had with everything. When you do your snap save, mm-hmm. do you tell it where to put it? Yes. You can't, well, oh, you, no, um, it goes, it goes into a specific folder on your, on your, um, root file directory, and then you have to, you have to send it to another drive. See, I've been, I've been taking care of that with ButterFS. I've just been running a snapshot on the whole VAR directory. Right, and if you do snapshots, that's fine, but you have to send them somewhere else, or it's still on that one drive. If that drive goes bad, you're done. that's true. You, you do your snap save. Yep. It saves it to a file in your root. Yep. You copy that to an external location. Yep. Your hard drive dies. You install a new hard drive, whatever. Then you grab that file. You put it back into the root location, and you do a snap restore. Yes, that's exactly what you do. Got it. Yep. That sounds great. I know. I'm going to work on it. I'm going to work on a script that will do the, the snap save. Um, I want it to keep two of the previous ones, and then the third one I want it to delete, and then after it's done doing all that, I want it to copy over the file to my external uh, storage so that that I can just run one script, or I can set it up on a timer or whatever, and that'll be done, and I don't have to worry about, um, you know, like, basically what this does is it keeps, like, let's say you're watching some stuff on Plex, and you decide to wipe your system out well now all that stuff that you watch is gone now unless you had a backup so it doesn't know where you were last at so you have to figure out where you were on the you know movie or the tv shows or whatever and that was the most annoying part about server hopping as i call it <laughs> so every time i reset up plex I, I never knew where i was so i was like ah oh, crap so then once i figured that out i was like this is it this is what i'm gonna do from now on it's so easy hmm. all of this makes me say that Maybe snaps are really nice and convenient on the server. So far, I mean, they are. I, 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 I mean. Oh, that Nextcloud snap is just great. Nextcloud is amazing too. I have the same thing. You know, not just saving all your positions, which is awesome, all on its own. Right. But also, you know, doing the uh, what, what's it called, where you find the actual show that it is, and um, the matches, resetting up the matches. That takes even longer. Yeah, I forgot about that whole thing. Yeah, because yeah, it saves all that too. Leo and I were going back and forth on this to try to figure out how much it actually backs up of your snap, and it literally backs up everything, which is really nice. Like he was worried that maybe it didn't do the home directory stuff, and it, I'm not going to get into that how it divides up all where it puts all the files, but um, 
but it actually does do that as well. And like for Nextcloud, <laughs> it ends up being a pretty big zip file. Like everything's on ne- that is on Nextcloud is included in this uh, backup. I don't think you can like try and change that unless you have Nextcloud um, backing or uh, Nextcloud pointed to another drive which is another pain in the neck with snap because you have to mount it to slash MNT or mount or whatever, or, um, slash media. Unless you're using ZFS. Oh, you, you, you can do differently on that. Yeah. On ZFS, you just set the mount point for the data set to the slash bar slash snap slash next loud slash. That saves me so much freaking work. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm going to do that immediately once we're done with this. I, <laughs> I found that I found that out the hard way because I what was happening was like the snap was starting up mm-hmm. before oh for it mounts the ZFS modules were loading mm-hmm. when I was trying to do it the the you know the bind mount way right and so then I said well okay what if I just tell ZFS to mount to that location and that that works flawlessly yeah I'm definitely doing that that's gonna be yep that's my next project <laughs> yeah. So, whenever you're dealing with ZFS, you always want to let ZFS do all the oh yeah file system work. Definitely, that's why I abandoned ZFS on my desktop with Fedora. I was like, "There's no way this is just not going to work." I need to either be running Ubuntu kernel or nothing else. And you're not getting as far as like your root directory for the operating system. I don't think you're getting a lot of benefit. No, just use ButterFS. I mean, this is I can feel the hate mail coming now, but just use ButterFS on the root with with Ubuntu, and then use everything else ZFS, and you'll be golden forever. Absolutely agree. <laughs> right. It feels almost as if like snaps were developed with a server in mind. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think containers were, mm-hmm. to be honest. Because Canonical themselves focus more and more on the server. Yeah. And one of the biggest complaints uh, people have with snaps on the desktop is that on cold boot, snaps take a long time to unzip and mount and load up. But when you're using them on a server, it's... <laughs> yeah, I see you, Joe. And I'm... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But but on the server, you don't have to restart it every day, so that's not really a problem. Right. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Nishant, what have you been up to? Uh, nothing much. Hopping from Garuda to Fedora to Pop OS, back to Windows 11, back to Windows 10, now going to Nitrix. So just the usual. The usual, <laughs> yep. <laughs> and having plum cake uh, baked at home for Christmas. Ooh, that sounds good. I want plum cake. Ooh, yeah. What are you on currently? I'm on Windows 10. <laughs> oh. <laughs> he reverted back. No, I was just checking whether my Windows 11 license works on Windows 10. It's an OEM license. It should, yeah. It should go back and forth, no problem. Your Windows 7 license probably works on Windows 11. Yep. I'm I, This laptop or this desktop right now, I'm using a Windows 7 license. I just kept it going. <laughs> I was just testing that because I wasn't sure. Do you have it tied to your uh, Microsoft account or no? Not at all. I don't use Microsoft account. Okay. I wasn't sure because I tie it to my account. But then how did you use Windows 11? Because Windows 11 re- requires you to have. Yeah, that's true. Windows 11, if you fresh, if you fresh install, you do have to tie it. Oh, wait, but if you upgrade, you don't? It is tied to my Outlook account. I only do that because then your key is saved into their system. And then every time you go onto a different laptop or whatever, you can just log into your account and it's done. 
But I think this is since this is OEM, it's stored in the BIOS. Right, that's different. Yeah. And I'm going to Nitrix next. Yeah, it's always interesting the the once or twice a year that I log into a new Windows machine and it automatically brings in my wallpaper. <laughs> that's so useful. Plus a lot of training in how to be patient with people. That's called customer service. Get used to it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I am in the support business. and Oh, boy. IT support. Sometimes it's so frustrating. People just call you and then they say that it's resolved by themselves. Yeah, they, they and they don't know what the heck they're talking about. And you can tell that they don't know what they're talking about. And you got to keep trying to get them to explain something. And, and they think you don't know what you're talking about either. You got to explain it to them 15 times. And you got to stay calm each and every time. You don't have to say it with a smile, but you're not allowed to say, hey... You're stupid. <laughs> Put away your keyboard. Unplug the computer. Find a new business to be in. I think there are a lot of improvements IT industry can do in training their users. Oh, yeah. Definitely. And the system admins. Once what happened, a system admin called me. You can provide them all the training in the world. You can't, you can't force them to actually, you know, pay attention while the training is on. <laughs> Yeah, so a system admin called me for help. And when I'm telling him that this is the way to do it, he's like, no, I'm system admin. I know more than you. <laughs> then why, did, why did she call you? <laughs> that was on my face. Oh, right. And so who called who now again? The system admin telling me that I know more than you. <laughs> then why did you call me? Come on. I'm like, I'm like always so, I'm so overly nice to IT people if I ever have to call them because I feel, I feel for them because I know what it's like on the other end. <laughs> yeah, it's been f like one year in IT support so far, but it's been good. You get to interact with your clients. Yeah. At least. Don't worry, it'll get worse. Gotta be a people person. Especially when I was a Microsoft, Microsoft technical consultant. So that's about it. And I'm excited about next week. What's next week? So next Saturday is my birthday. Oh, happy birthday. Oh, happy birthday. Happy birthday, Nishant. Happy birthday. Well, I'm not going to talk to you on your birthday, so happy birthday today. Oh, thank you. All right, moving on to the... Well, uh, we didn't have Bill. Oh, his bi-weekly wanderings. We completely missed your bi-weekly wanderings, Bill. That's what you get for not putting them in the notes. Well, yeah, you literally gave me access to this. Okay, that's my excuse. Uh... <laughs> No, it's it's my fault. I blame me. I blame my vacation. <laughs> Just blame Joe. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm new here, so yeah, I'm Bill. I am a truck driver by trade, and uh, I've been doing that for uh, almost 27 years now with a couple of breaks in there. Um, I've never actually worked in IT. Um, I just kind of, I well, I, I couldn't tell you exactly. I think it probably, a lot of it had to do with just being on Windows and kind of being curious about certain things. And then you get to the, you basically get to the end of the things that you can manipulate and control with Windows. And then somebody somewhere says, hey, have you tried Linux? And then uh, that was around about the early 2000s uh, when, uh, well, SUSE, before it was open SUSE, SUSE Linux was making those uh, DVD box sets that you used to see at Circuit City and Best Buy. And uh, I tried installing that, and 
it uh, I thought it was cool, but in those days I was using dial up AOL internet and I couldn't work out yeah, I couldn't work out how to make that work on Linux. So I, I ended up going back to Windows, but then later on as as uh high speed internet became more prolific, I ended up with aim around about the time Vista came out, I decided to give uh Linux another look and that's about the time Ubuntu was getting uh, pretty mainstream in our little world. And uh, I installed that. And I got along pretty well with that uh, in the beginning. The only problem was the codex, getting the codex to work. That's what led me to, to Mint in the early days of Mint when it was just before Cinnamon came along. Um I think I was running the XFCE. In fact, I'm sure I was the XFCE version. And the reason I did that is because, yeah, it, you install Mint and it just worked right out of the box. And then uh, years progressed. And now I'm running, oh gosh, I've got seven laptops in this house running one one distro or another. I've got this server behind me. This is running Ubuntu Server 2110 with... Uh, the Jellyfin Docker image on it. That's that's a fantastic project, by the way, for anybody that's not familiar. It's sort of a all-open-source alternative to Plex. And the best way to install that is with the Docker image. And it gives you kind of... Uh, it, well, before what I was doing is I had a a Samba server running on here, and then... All the devices throughout the house had Kodi installed on them, and it was fine. But you to get Kodi running on like a Fire Stick or something like that, you've got to sideload it from the website, and it's kind of a it's kind of a hack job getting getting that, all that up and running. And then you have to, yeah, you well, you got to get another app to actually download the APK install that and it just feels like a hack whereas the jellyfin client is right there in all of the app stores so we've got it on a nvidia shield up on the main tv in the living room and then it installs and runs just fine on uh, all of the fire based devices now the biggest difference between running Kodi on all those devices and then just a samba server down here is that the Jellyfin Docker image does all of the server-side work on the server. So all of your metadata is generated on the server and saved there, and then all, all the clients just connect to that. Whereas with Kodi, each individual Kodi installation had to have its own metadata saved, and it would have to do all of its own uh, sourcing of the Samba shares. And that wasn't, you know, that's that's a less than perfect way of doing a uh, media server. So it's running that, and then, and then it's running a uh, WireGuard instance. I use a project called PyVPN, which you which is basically a uh, a script that you curl and pipe through Bash, and then it gives you a a fairly easy way to install WireGuard which is useful to me because I need to be able to uh, administer a lot of this stuff while I'm on the road. Uh, 
which wire guard is just flawless in its ability to just give you access to i mean every single one of my devices plus i've got pi hole running on a pi 3 over here so if i'm wire guarded back into my home network from the road then i've got all the benefits of the pi hole doing all the uh ad blocking and things like that um which that's another thing i kind of enjoy is the the single board computers i've got i've got the uh pi 0 i've got a pi 0 2W, one of those ones that just came out. I've got a Pi 4. I've got a Pi 400 right here in front of me that I'm reading my show notes on. That runs okay. Um, I feel like development on that ought to be a little further along than it is, but I mean, whatever. Firefox tends to crash a lot. Sometimes it, Sometimes I'll start it up and it'll run just fine the whole time and then other times I started up and it just crashes almost immediately. I don't know what that's all about, but uh, then I've got one of these Pine 64 Rock Pro Rock Pro 64s and I've got that in a NAS box. I've got two uh, three terabyte Seagate Iron Wolf drives on a Z-Pool in that and that's that's running my uh, NextCloud instance that all of our phones back up to all of our photos and that and that's that's running the next cloud snap i've actually got one running on here and on the big server yeah the rock the rock pro is really nice i i never really got to use one but i i've heard really good things about it the problem with these see the rock pro is nice because it's got a sata uh, it's got an e uh that's the best part of pci yeah pci port on port, it yep. so you can put a and so it's got the two drives hooked up through the SATA controller, and that's great. The problem with these SBCs is the software, really. I mean, there's there's stuff out there, but there's nothing officially supported for these devices because they're they're very community oriented, and it's one of those things where you've got a company like Pine sixty four. They, I guess their philosophy is more, uh, okay, we'll make the device and leave it up to the community to, to make the software for it. And so I'm running Armbian on it right now and it's fine. It's okay, but it throws me all kinds of error messages that I can't, I can't make out what they are, but then it just works fine. So I don't, I don't worry about it too much. If it runs, that's all that matters. Yeah, it runs and it's not it's not getting backed up or anything, and and the uh, next cloud snap just seems to be working fine. But I don't know. That's about that's about it. It with me. I've been as far as Linux goes. I've I've just been. I'm I'm really huge into the philosophy behind it all. You know, I really I really like the idea of open source. I think it's something that humanity can apply to a lot of things that we do. And and it would help us move forward. You know, I'm it's it's about sharing ideas. It's about it's about working together to make this thing that we do a little better instead of just working together to make a profit. And and I really dig that. That's what uh, Linux had in mind when he made Linux, I think, and JIT. Yeah, that plus he couldn't have, he couldn't afford Unix, but yeah. <laughs> so why not make it free? Yeah. Free as in beer and free as in freedom. Freedom all around. 
I mean, the freezing beer does. I I don't have a problem with it being people using that because that, that that will draw in people. And then you know, once they once they're here, then we can introduce them to the. Question: How does Canonical make money of, out of Ubuntu OS? Well, uh, they sell support, support for uh, enterprise. Yep. Oh, that's for enterprise. I'm talking about. They they don't make money off the desktop at all. I mean, they may, might have made a little bit of money when they put the Amazon thing in until they took it out, but that would be about all I can think of. So that donation thing is like whatever we donate. Well, donations, yes, but they don't actually make like a profit off of anything that directly revolves around Ubuntu. I guess I could say. Okay, so even same way Red Hat doesn't make anything out of Fedora. Yeah, right. In a way, it makes sense for Canonical to move toward the server. Uh, that's fine. I mean, I just wanted to understand how do some developers of Debian, for example, maintain themselves. Debian is not a company like Red Hat, right? With lots of capital. Yes, but a lot of uh, developers of Debian are actually developers from Ubuntu and Red Hat and Fedora and various distros. So a lot of developers actually work on multiple distros. Yep. Oh, okay. Those, so some of them are uh, canonical, em- canonical employees and uh, Red Hat employees. And if not, they do two things. They work and they work on Debian. As far as money goes, I think some money gets funneled back into the Debian project from uh, from Ubuntu. and I'm sure somehow it does. Yeah. We just don't know it yet, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I think I've heard Danielle Foray say that he's funneled some money back into them. I mean, I don't know that it's a lot, but it, it's other other projects out there that depend on Debian for their for the back end for the uh, repositories and that yep you know they funnel some money back in okay in our announcements our next episode will be 2 p.m. US Central Time on January the 9th and you can get that converted using the link in the show notes to your time zone And our next live stream will be at 2 p.m. U.S. Central Time on January 1st, if everything goes well. You might want to check for updates later to make sure that we're going to do that one. It is a holiday. I understand if, you know, some of us can't make it or something. But we do have multiple people now that are able to do the stream. So you can get that once again converted to your uh, time zone with the link in the show notes. And... On to the wrap-up. And um, if you like the sound of my voice, you can catch me on a couple other podcasts. I'm on the Linux Link Tech Show, which is at tllts.org. I'm on the Linux Lugcast, which you can catch at linuxlugcast.com. You can track me down on MeWe. You can send me an email directly, jb at mintcast.org. Or you can use the link in the show note and buy me a coffee. And I also want to say that if you want to, you can send an email to all of us on the Mintcast using mintcast at mintcast.org. Norbert, where can we find you? Well, you can send me an email at norbert at mintcast.org. And the other, other, other Josh was not able to be on today. He had some family things going on. You can catch him, jt at mintcast.org, Josh Thacker on Discord, and at metal underscore foss on Twitter. Nishant, where can we find you? Okay, so you can find me through email at nishant at mintcast.org on Discord and 
on Steam if you want to play any games. It's Maverick 00783 on Steam. And if you want to develop things, it's Recon Ghost at GitHub and Instagram. And on Discord, ghost.recon. You can just contact me anytime. And I'll be able to help you with your Linux queries. And Bill, how about you? Well, I'm Bill underscore H on Discord. I'm at WC Hauser 3 on Twitter. And I'm even on that there Facebook at WC Hauser 3. Josh Hawk? Uh, you can find me at Josh on Tech on most social sites. And um, you can email me, Josh on Tech at mintcast.org right here. But what if I'm not on Tech? Ah. Then you're not worth it. No. Ouch. <laughs> That's harsh. <laughs> okay. Before we leave, we want to make sure to acknowledge some of the people who make Mintcast possible. Josh Lowe for all his work on the website, Hobstar for our logo, InitRD for the animated Discord logo, Londoner for our time sync, and uh, <clears throat> Norbert for our audio editing. Bitemark Hosting for hosting Mintcast.org and our Mumble server, Archive.org for hosting the audio files. The Linux Mint development team for the fine distro we love to talk about. Thanks, Clem. And still a thank you to Leo for actually posting the shows every week. This has been another episode of the Mintcast podcast. The show notes for this episode are at mintcast.org. You can send us email at mintcast at mintcast.org. You can find more information about Linux Mint at www.linuxmint.com. You can follow both Mintcast and Linux Mint on Twitter, at Mintcast and at Linux underscore Mint. Thanks to Mark Blasco at podcastthemes.com for our theme music, and thanks for listening to this episode of The Mintcast.